Perashah in the Torah, 176 Pesukim. And we're behind the eight ball because we missed last night because of the holiday. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. A lot of subjects in this Perashah. Perashah is called again Nassau. Remember, we're learning the book of Numbers. And the Perashat Nassau is a continuation of the numbers that we started uh, last week. It's not the whole parasha, but at least the beginning is a continuation. So when the bit of the one, Moshe Nemor, Nassau et Rosh b'nei Gereshom, gab hem lebet amotam lebeshpechotam. So we learned last week, the Levi family uh, primarily was the family of Kehat. And uh, Kehat had, um, or Levi family had the Gereshon, Kehat, Umrari. Those were the three families of Levi. Again, Gereshon, Kehat, Umrari. Last week we learned about the Kehat family. They were the ones that were in charge of carrying the holy vessels. And now we talk about the Gereshon family. Again, these are families of uh, Levim. So now we're going to see exactly their responsibilities. Beben shiloshim shana bamarna ad ben hamishim shana tefkod otam. So their census, we count their families, we count between 30 and 50. Because that's the ages that they're fit for service as Levim. Kolabal esposabal avod avodat toel moed. Zot avodat mishpechot agershuni. The job of the Gershuni family, uh, they also had a job of carrying different uh, parts of the Mishkan. So they took the Yiriot, uh, Yiriot were the panels that covered the Mishkan, actually the lower panels, uh, they would carry them. They would carry as well that is the uh, Panels that were above it. There was a second panel of covering, and mechsehu, and the covering above that. That was the red skins, the ram, the red skins that uh, covered the mishkan. So basically, they were in charge of carrying the three roofs that covered the top of the mishkan. The et masach petah ohel moed, and they also uh, carried the screens. At the entrance of the of the Mishkan, from the different curtains, ve'et uh, the kilaim is again the different curtains in the courtyard separating the different sections. Asher ala Mishkan ve'ala mizbeach saviv ve'et metrehem, and also uh, they would uh, carry their um, their ropes because the curtains were held up by ropes with pegs on the ground, and all the different uh, vessels. And that was, their, that was their basic service. So now we know the family of Gerisho. Uh, we learned last week as well that um, uh, we learned that the Aharon his family was in charge of the whole Kohanim family. And uh, Itamar, who was the son of Aharon, uh, helped uh, manage manage the family that she says. Uh, so Itamar was the uh, Kohen in charge of managing the Gershon family. Uh, Fine. So Itamar was the Kohen that managed them. Now we have one more family. So we did the Kehat family. Now we did the Gereshon family. Now we need to get to the Merari family. That's the third son of Levi. B'nei Merari. Lemeshpechotam. Lebet Abotam. Tefkot Otam. So they were counted also part of the census. You're counting them again, between 30 and 50 years old. Again, they're coming to serve. 
in Oel Moed. Now, this is Mishmerit Masa'ab. This was their job. It's a hard job, these guys. They had to carry the actual Kedashim. Uh, that's the, the beams that made the walls of the uh, Mishkan. Those are the heavy wooden planks. Ubrihab. Ubrihab is the, the uh, locks. Well, actually, the bars that went through the planks. When we learned that in Terumat Adana, and the pillars and the sockets. And we said there were sockets underneath these pillars in order to keep them from falling. Also, the pillars of the courtyard, the Adnehem and their sockets, and the pegs, and the ropes that kept everything kept everything up. So basically, if you wanted to know the main function or purpose of Shemit Levi, they were uh, the, 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 the transporters of the Mishkan. You know, yeah, people are moving, so you need a moving truck to move the furniture, to move the uh, to move the clothes. So when Benei said we're traveling in the Midbar, you know, everybody carried their own stuff, but you needed somebody to be designated to carry the Mishkan. So they were the, I don't want to belittle them by calling them the, the moving service, because obviously it's a lofty job, it's a very holy job to carry the, uh, the Mishkan. Right, but each each family, each family got a specific uh, area of the Mishkan that they were responsible for, and they would have to, you know, dismantle it and then carry it, and then when they got to the new location, they have to make sure that they, you know, re uh, reassemble it. Now the pasuk says, uh, so now we're going to count the family of Levi. So Kehat had, um, uh, what does it say here? Alpayim Shvame Od Bahamishim. That's 2,750. That's just that family. And then it says they counted the Gedeshon family between 30 and 50. And that was Alpayim Veshesh Meot Mushloshim. So that's 2630. So they're a bit less than the uh, Kehati. Kehati comes in at 2750. And the Gereshon comes in at 2630. And then it says uh, the Merari family, again, counting them between 30 and 50. Um, so they came in at 3200. So there you go. They get the, uh, they get the price. Uh, 3,200. This is the uh, countings of the family of Merari. It was counted by Moshe. Now we're going to get the subtotal of how many Levim are there altogether. Again, this is between 30 and 50. That's the age that they served. So altogether it was Shimonat Alafim 8,580. That's the magic number of the night. 8580. Now keep in mind, uh, besides uh, the fact that they were the transporters of the Mishkan, which is obviously a very important job, but they were also in charge of the music. They were the band. You know, in the Beit HaMikdash, they had music. You know, when they brought the Qurban, they would have instruments. And the Levi'im were in charge of playing the instruments. So they were the band, and they were also the choir. They were in charge of singing the different, uh, you know, Tehillim and the different songs that were sung on a daily basis in the uh, in the Mishkan. So that's, as she says, they used to play the cymbals, that's uh, the harp, uh, the different uh, the different instruments, the flute, were all different uh, items that the Vim were uh, in charge of. So that's, look at that. What we just did here, without even feeling it, this is painless parasha, as we call it. Uh, we read already about 20, 20, 28 pesukim. All right, so we have a 176, and we read 28 of them. Now we get to the next parasha. 
the next subject. Speak to the people, command them. Okay, so you need an introduction over here. There's certain types of people that are contaminated. One is a person that's called the Zav. Zav means he has an emission that comes out of his body and it renders the person Tameh. You also have a Tzaruwa. Tzaruwa is a, a leper. Somebody has leprosy. And somebody that came in contact with a corpse. So those are three types of uh, Tuma'ah. So the Torah comes and tells us that certain people that are contaminated are not allowed to live within the camp of B'nai Israel. They have to be sent out. Until they get pure, then they can come back in. Now, you must know that the camp was divided into three sections. I want to talk about the three sections. First is the Mishkan proper. The Mishkan proper and that whole <coughs> area is called Mahane Shechina, the camp of the divine presence. And then you have uh, around that, which means outside of the Mishkan, around in the perimeter, that's called the encampment of the Leviim. That's called Mahane Leviya. And then uh, past that, uh, you have another camp, which is called Mahane Israel, which is the camp of uh, Israel. So again, you have the Mishkan, that's Mahane Shekhinah, then around it is Mahane Leviyah, then around the whole encampment is Mahane Yisrael. Now, when we have over here a leper, leper is somebody that has leprosy, that's called a tzaruwa. So he's got to be sent out of all the camps. They send him out of Shekhinah, Leviyah, and Yisrael. So basically he's, he's, in the, he's sent out you know, all the way Away. Now, Azav mutab b'machane Yisrael. Azav has to be sent out of two of the camps, Shechina and Leviyah, but he can live in the parameter of Machane Yisrael. And a Tameh lanefesh, that's somebody that comes in contact with corpse tumah, mutar af b'shel Leviyah. Wow, so he's only forbidden to be in the Shechina area. So corpse tumah is the least in the sense of being sent out. Then you have Zav, sent out a little more, and the Sadoa is sent out to the whole to the whole camp. That's a very, um, very important uh, distinctions between the different people. Uh, and the Torah comes along and says, Mizakhar ad So there you go. Uh, equal opportunity. This applies to men and women alike. That means a woman can become a leper. A woman could come become uh, a zaba. She has that emission of coming out of her body, or she can become a tamer uh, to corpse. So that whatever applies to the man applies to the lady as well. And the Torah says they will not defile my camp in which the presence of God rests. We have one more pasuk by Yasuken bnei Israel. Well, once they got the law, so they followed the law. And they sent out these people to their respective areas. Just as God spoke to Moshe, so they actually, they uh, they did it. So that's, that's the law of the uh, Jews that uh, are limited in their... Um, access to different camps because of Tumah. Now you have to point out, it's only a temporary situation because once they get pure, you know, they come back right back to their, something that we don't have today. Could you imagine? I mean, we had quarantine for a couple of years and masks and all that other good stuff, but could you imagine the olden days that uh, you know, somebody would have an admission out of his body and they would come home to his wife and say, I gotta move out. There's a way you're moving. We have to move outside the camp. A person has leprosy. Forget about it. He's got to move outside all three camps. And he's got to live there for a week or two until he gets better. So, yeah, it's a different, uh, 
different society. We don't have this concept of it that a person has tum'ah and therefore is not allowed to be in in certain uh, in certain areas. Today, the guys who's tamis is in the front row, as uh, we as we know. But uh, in the older days, they had a different uh, different standard. Okay, there you go. So we did about uh, forty pesukim. Yes. Uh, Hashem, we'll continue this uh, tomorrow night. Any questions? Yeah. Just wanted to ask. What about children? What is that? What if they had children and they were out of the camp? Did the children go with them? No, uh, no, no. Uh, get a bed. That's what that bed. That's babysitters. Have you ever babysitter? Oh, <laughs> that's it. Babysitters. That's that's uh, that's when probably it was invented. Okay. <laughs> no, they didn't take their children. They had to go out there alone. Okay. Sometimes they could take their wives. Actually, their wives. It depends. If they were uh, contaminated. Yeah, if it, if it contaminates their wife or not. So certain things. Uh, the Gemara makes the stations that the wife can go with them. Not, not, not always. Okay, beautiful. Parashat Naso. And we are up to chapter 5. And we're up to Pasuk 5. And we're learning the Refuah Shinema Hayasar Abbasim Havai. The Berad Wine Moshe Demor. Amen. Ish or Isha, Adam. So we're talking about over here um, about a person who steals. And after he steals, he swears falsely that he didn't steal. And uh, he denies it. So the uh, Torah comes along and says, they must confess their sins. So he must return the stolen object. And he must add a fifth. And when he returns it back, he doesn't only pay back the principal, but he pays back principal plus uh, 20%. And um, to the one that uh, the one that he stole from. So that's the law of stealing. Now it's an interesting uh, case over here. The hadush over here is is that let's say he steals from uh, a convert. Now, when you steal from a convert. Which we'll see now. Okay, we'll, we'll get this thing from the convert. But this is still from a regular guy. So the Torah says you have to pay back, and you have to if you swear falsely, and then you get uh, he admits that he swore falsely, then he has to pay back, uh, like we said, one and a fifth, one or kidding, and then the homish. And then the pasuk says, uh, Now let's say the person doesn't have. He's not around. Let's say he dies and he doesn't have inheritors. Now, what's the case that a person will not have inheritors? Everybody has inheritors. That means he should go to the closest of kin. So it's talking about a convert. A convert, as we know, if he dies, he has no convert. He has no, there's no relatives because he's just, uh, he came into the, uh, he came into the religion without, uh, his father's not his father, his brothers are not his brothers. So he's really not related to anybody. So let's say a person steals money from a convert and then he dies. So now he has to pay back. But normally you'd pay back the closest of kin. But in this case, where he's a convert, there's nobody to pay back. So the Torah says, you give it back to the Kohen. So that's, uh, that's the case. You give it back to the Kohen. That's one of the gifts. Like we learned many times, the Kohanim get many Entitlements like Tiruma, and they get the first shearings of the animals, and they get the meat. So one of the things that the Kohanim get also is this, uh, this uh, payment that if uh, there is no relatives to pay back to, so the Kohanim make the, um, and they get the one and the fifth, as we said. Okay, so that's that. Um, now, besides the fact that when a person Steals and swears falsely, he has to take Urban as well. 
that's a special korban he brings, and that's fine. Okay. Vechol teruma lechol kochem b'nei sashi yakribu lakohen lo yihyeh. Furthermore, the Torah now tells us that when a person is giving teruma, so we know that teruma is the first is two percent of the fruits. So two percent you have to give to the uh, kohen as well. So that's the law of teruma. And there's a law that we learned about called bikurim. Bikurim is the first fruits. So that's again we're learning about all the different entitlements. Basically, if a guy has a, a tree, so the first fruits that grow. So he has to put him in a basket and he has to go give it to the uh, Kohen. Uh, uh, so now we're just talking about what you give to the Kohen and the Levi. Now, he cannot take them against your will. You have a right to give it to whoever you want, but um, he, cannot, uh, he cannot take them again by force. Uh, so that's called Tovata um, Na'a. Uh, now, I'll explain to you what Tovatana'a means. Tovatana'a means that um, you can choose who you want to give it to. For example, let's say you have a Kohen that works for you in the field. He's a, he's a, he's a worker. So now you want to take care of him, so you want to give the Tirumat to him. Because you know that if you give the Tirumat to him, he'll work better for you and he'll be more, uh, you know, whatever, productive. So you're allowed to give it to that Kohen. The Kohen is allowed to give it and grab what's coming to them. The choice of who you want to give it to is up to the owner itself. So that's what the Pasuk says. Regarding to the things that are holy, they belong to the owner, again, to decide. But there's another explanation. The uh, explanation is that if a person does not give his tithes, he will end up with a tithe. Let me explain to you what that means. For example, let's say a person, the Gemara tells a story of a person that had a field. And every year the field produced 1,000 uh, bushels, let's say. And he gave 100 to the Masid, he gave 100 to the Levi, like he's supposed to. He gave 10% to the Levi, so he gave 100 every year. And then he started to say to himself, well, that's a lot to give. So he started to give less and less and less until he stopped giving. It end up happening, his field only produced a hundred. And the Gemara says, God says, if you want a beracha, you give me a hundred and keep ninety. But if you want to keep everything for yourself, then you're going to get the hundred, and I'm going to keep the ninety. So therefore, if you want to go partners with God, He doesn't ask for fifty percent; He only asks for ten percent. So the pasuk is saying, "Be'ishet kadashav lo yihu." If a person keeps his uh, his his entitlements, the entitlements that belong to the Kohen, if he keeps them to himself, then each the Kohen, what you're supposed to give to the Kohen, lo you will end up with. That means if you're supposed to give the Kohen 10% or the Levi 10%, you're going to end up with 10%. So therefore, basically, the rule is you have to give to get. The person thinks that if he gives, he's going to lose out. But actually, if you end up preserving the night. But if a person wants to hold on to everything, so God says, no problem. What you were supposed to give to the Kohen, that's what you're going to end up with. And that's a, 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 great, uh, a great lesson. This is a case where uh, giving is actually receiving. The Gemara gives a, an example uh, of a person. In the olden days, they used to buy meat. And they didn't have preservatives. They didn't have uh, like a refrigerator. refrigerator. So how would they preserve the meat? They would put salt in it. And then they cover it with salt, and therefore it stays for many days. So one guy bought a 10-pound piece of meat, and the butcher tells him, you better put salt on it in order to protect it. So he said, yeah, but if I'm going to put the salt on it, it's going to shrink, and I'm going to lose a pound. And instead of 10 pounds, it's going to be only 9 pounds. So I'm not going to put the salt. So what happened? He ended up losing the whole piece of meat. So you have to be willing to give up one pound in order to save the nine. The same thing when it comes to your money. You have to be willing to give a little out in order to preserve the rest. But if a person wants to hold on to everything, so then God says, I'm going to take away everything and you're going to only left, be left with the tithe. 
and uh, that's a uh, a lesson also uh, when it comes to tzedakah uh, today. We don't have tithes, but we do give ten percent to, to charity, and therefore, a person he shouldn't think that he's losing. Actually, he's he's really just preserving the uh, the principle that, that he has. So that's the the perasha that we learned over here. So let's just review uh, so far what we read tonight. Tonight we read about the law of God forbid if somebody steals uh, and he has to pay back, he has to pay back. <laughs> Remember, it's stealing and swearing falsely over here. So he has to pay back plus a fifth and the guy's not around anymore. He pays his inheritors and if the guy has no inheritors, he's a convert, has no inheritors, therefore you have to give it to the Kohen. And you have to bring a korban in order to atone for the false swear. Now, very interesting. It's in this parasha. The parasha says, and they will confess their sins that they committed. And here, actually, we learn the mitzvah of confession. Now, we know that on the high holidays, we make confession. Where in the Torah does it say you have to make confession for sins? Right here. Now, the question is, but confessions is, is for all the mitzvot, not only for stealing. Why did the Torah write the law of confession by stealing? It could have written it by any law. And I saw from the Sfat Emet, he says, beautiful. He says, because that when a person sins, it's actually a form of stealing. Every sin. Why? Because God gave you the body. God gave you your, your life and you're supposed to use it for what the manufacturer suggests you to use it. But if you use it for something that was not intended, so you're using your body for the wrong things, that means you're basically uh, uh, stealing it for the, wrong, for the wrong purposes because God only gave it to you for this and therefore you, you're misusing it. So therefore, every sin is actually a form of stealing. So that's why the law of confession is written by uh, the law of uh, stealing. That's why if you pay attention to the prayers that we make on Kippur, at the end of Yom Kippur service in Ne'ilah, the whole Ne'ilah service is talking about forgive us for the sin of stealing. And the rabbis ask, why are we highlighting that mitzvah out of all the mitzvot in the Torah? And the explanation is because every mitzvah is a form of stealing. It's abuse. Uh, Hashem gave you your body in order to do mitzvot, and instead of using the body to do avirot, so that's a it's, a it's a form of misuse of a of a, of an asset. So that's what we learned. And then we learned tonight also that one has to give the teruma and the bikurim. Bikurim we said is the first fruits that also belongs uh, to the kohen. And then we said that if a person uh, wants to give tirumah to the Kohen, it's his prerogative to give it to the Kohen that he wants, and he can get a benefit from it. Um, and uh, the Kohen is not allowed to grab it by force. Furthermore, we learned that if a person holds his tithes and does not end up giving them to the Kohen, so then the Torah says that actually that's all he's going to be left with. Okay, that's the uh, short version of tonight's lesson. Some interesting laws. We'll stop it over here. We're learning for the Fuash Namahayas. Tomorrow night, whoever wants to hear an interesting story, check it early tomorrow night. We're going to learn the controversial, very fascinating story of the Sota lady. Speak to the children of Israel. Speak to them and say, Ish, Ish. Uh, in the event that a, uh, a person's wife becomes, uh, goes astray. I mean, she goes. She goes off. She goes off the path. Now, why does it say 
um, this perasha after what we just learned. The last thing we learned, Torah always puts perashiot that are connected to each other for a reason. So what's the reason why Parashat Sota is next to the parasha that was written right before it? Well, the parasha right before it said, if you remember last night, that you're not allowed to hold your uh, gifts to the Kohen. You have to give the Kohen title to him. You have to give him the Terumah, and you have to give the Levi the Maaser. And the Torah is telling us that if a person will not give his uh, gifts that he has to, to the Kohen, eventually he's going to need the Kohen. His wife become a Sota, and now he's going to have to go to the Beit HaMikdash, and he's going to have to ask the special waters. The Kohen will tell him, ah, now you came to me. Where were you when you were supposed to give me my gifts? So Hashem punishes a measure for measure. You try to hide away from the Kohen, you're going to end up needing the Kohen. And then the Torah says, Ish, Ish. And why does it say a double language? A man, a man, that his wife goes astray. So the Torah is teaching us that when a lady goes astray, she's actually rebelling against two men. Ish is her husband, and Ish is a reference to God. Because God is also called Ish, like the Pasuk says, Hashem, Ish Milhama. So therefore, Ish, Ish, that the lady has to know that when she is uh, rebellious, that she actually is unfaithful to two Ish. The Torah comes along and says, on this, so the Pasuk uh, says, that the stay could be read like I'm reading it now with a scene, which means she went astray. But you can also read it, Tishte means she becomes a shota, that she becomes, uh, you know, she becomes a fool. And the Gemara learns from over here that a lady will only uh, become an adulteress if she uh, if, 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 if enters her brain some uh, some foolishness, a spirit of foolishness uh, enters her. Because normally the ways of the ladies are to be modest. Um, and therefore, uh, the Torah is coming to say that if it ends up happening that she commits adultery, it's because she was possessed by a spirit of foolishness. So again, go back again. Ish, ish, ki ishto. Ma'ala bo ma'al. And she committed a, uh, a trespass against him. And uh, what is that trespass? So the Pasuk says, that she was with a man. Uh, the man meaning an adult, as opposed to a minor. And the Pasuk says, um, and he doesn't know about this, which means he is in the in the dark when it comes to this. He does not know if she actually committed the sin or not. The case we're talking about over here is that she was secluded with the man, but we don't know what she did with that man. And that's why you need the waters of the sota to come and um, to come and render it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if she's if, she, if she's guilty or not. Um, fine. Now the Torah comes along and says that when uh, Estera, she was secluded. Uh, now how long does she have to be secluded for? The amount of time, as she says, to have a uh, a um, a an adulterous relation, however long that takes, and the pasuk says the ed en ba. There's no witnesses over here. That means if there was witnesses that say that they saw the actual act, she doesn't drink. She only drinks when we don't have witnesses because we don't know exactly what she did. pasa, and the pasuk says, and this was not done by force because. If a lady was taken by force by another man, she's permissible to go back to her husband, unless her husband is a Kohen. But in this case, she went willingly. 
And now we just don't know what she did behind the closed doors. There's no, there's no witnesses. But we know that she went behind closed doors. We have witnesses for that. <clears throat> so now the Torah says, what do we do with such a lady? So the Torah says that for this case to work, the husband had to uh, have been uh, warned his wife first. So I'll give you the case. There's a husband that suspects, let's say, uh, for doing something inappropriate with a certain man. So he tells his wife, I'm warning you, I do not want you to be secluded with, uh, let's say, with Uven. And she says, no, there's nothing going on between me and the Uven. Well, I'm warning you. So she, he gets, she gets warned by the husband in front of two witnesses. I don't want you being secluded with this man. And she says, okay. And then all of a sudden, a short time after, the husband's looking for his wife, can't find his wife. So where'd she go? Uh, they're at a, a party somewhere. And all of a sudden, uh, somebody says, oh, I saw your wife go into a, a room over there. And he goes, the door's locked. <laughs> and the wife answers. He says, yes, can I help you? He says, yeah, I'm your husband. What are you doing in here? And all of a sudden, the Uven pops out. Now she was secluded with the Uven. And the husband says, what were you doing with the Uven? They said, nothing. We were studying Dafayumi together. Dafayumi, so, <laughs> why do you have to study Dafayumi in, in a locked room? Uh, because we don't want to get interrupted. Uh, so he doesn't believe that, understandably. But we don't know what she did. Now, she probably wasn't learning Dafayumi, but that doesn't mean that she was committing... Adultery. They could have been just, uh, you know, uh, talking. So the only way to solve that. So, but the point, my point is, over the case of Sota can only be if the husband already warned his wife initially. If he didn't warn her, and then she's secluded, that does not make a Sota case. So there's, there's two parts of Sota. One, the first part is called Kinui, which is the warning, and then Stira is the. Um, confinement, which means the uh, the fact that she is uh, alone with the uh, with the man. Now, the pasu comes along and says, "What do we do in such a case? Uh, what do we have to do?" So the Torah says, ha'ish et ishto el So he has to bring her to the kohen. He's the only one that can solve this 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 mystery. Ve'vi'et korbana aleha. And she brings a korban, asilita efa kemaseorim. So first she has to bring a meal offering, and the meal offering she has to bring is made out of made from barley. Now the Gemara says normally meal offerings are made out of wheat flour. Why does she bring a offering made out of barley? So the Gemara says because she acted like an animal, and therefore let her bring a meal offering that is from animal food. Because the animals eat barley. Now, what does it mean she did the, the act of a, 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 an animal? Maybe she didn't do anything with the man. Yeah, but she's guilty because she did seclude herself. That alone is, uh, is, is, is questionable. And even again, even if you just say they were, you know, uh, they were just talking, but you're a married lady. What are you secluding yourself in a, in a locked room with a man? That is an act of an animal. The animals have no morality. They have no uh, decency. So therefore, the Kohen right away wants to tell her whether you did anything with this man or not. That we'll see in a few minutes. But off the bat, you're guilty. And therefore, she brings the uh, the animal minha, which is made out of barley. And the Torah says, Lo yitzok aleha shemen. That normally, um, we... Um, we add oil to the meal offerings, but we don't add oil to this one over here. The reason is, is because one of the things that, first of all, we don't want, we, we don't want the minha to be, you know, uh, uh, nice. We don't want it to be, uh, you know, elegant. When there's no, it's dry, dry barley. If you added some uh, oil to it, it becomes, uh, you know, mehudar elegant. And we don't want that. And furthermore, 
that we know that uh, oil is called light. There's a synonym for oil. Shemin is also called or. And therefore, since she did her act in the dark, so therefore we do not put oil, which is light, in her mincha, say, measure for measure. Now, uh, levona is a certain type of uh, a spice. It's called frankincense. And uh, the, um, the reason why they don't put frankincense in the, the mincha, which normally they do sprinkle some of that stuff in there, is because the imahot, the mothers, Sarah, Rivka, Rechem, compares them to frankincense. In, what's, in, in which way? In the fact that they, the frankincense has a good aroma. And therefore the imahot also had good deeds. A, a good aroma came from them. And therefore, the Torah is saying that she did not behave in the ways of the imahot. She did not wait, behave in the modest way of the mothers that are called Lebona, frankincense, and therefore we do not add Lebona to her korban. And the Pasuk says, Minhat Kena'otu. Uh, so this over here is going to be a, uh, a meal offering of jealousness. Now it says, Kena'ot, which means uh, God is going to take a revenge against this lady because she committed adultery, if she did, and also the jealousy of the husband. And the Pasuk says, He takes special special waters that were in the sink, that were consecrated in the sink. Now, why does the sota have to drink waters from the special sink? So if you remember, many, many moons ago, we learned that the sink in the Beit HaMikdash was made up of the mirrors that the Jewish women used to look at themselves in in order to beautify themselves for their husbands. These were copper mirrors. And they melted down the copper and they made from it the sink. And if you remember that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu... The Kiyor. The Kiyor, exactly. And initially, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to accept that donation from the ladies. He felt it's immodest. But God said it's not immodest at all for a lady to use a mirror so long as she's beautifying herself for her husband. And that's what the ladies in Egypt were doing. They were using their mirrors in order to create proper Jewish families. So God said, on the contrary, that's the best donation. And therefore, this lady that used her mirror in order to beautify herself for somebody else was not a husband. So we bring her to the sink to remind her you went against the way of your of your ancestors, of the Jewish mothers in Egypt, Hashim said, Kariot. That's why they bring her and take her to the sink in order to um, give her the water, which reminds, reminds her of the loyalty that the Jewish women in Egypt had to their husbands and the uh, infidelity, the disloyalty that this lady has to her husband. Now, they take water and they put it in a kilicheres. A kilicheres is a earthenware vessel, which is a very cheap vessel. Now, why do they put it in a cheap vessel? Because uh, when she was committing her act of seclusion and maybe adultery, what did she do? Uh, she gave the adulterer wine to drink. That's usually part of the process. And they probably had some nice goblets. And she poured the wine into the goblet for him. So therefore, measure for measure, instead of now drinking from a fancy wine goblet, you're going to drink from a earthenware vessel, which is a, a cheap vessel. So everything that we're doing to the lady is actually a, a measure for measure. And we're going to add dirt into this water. So now it's bitter water. And she has to drink it. Because when they were secluded, what were they drinking? They were probably having a drink of wine, which is very, very tasty. And now she has to uh, drink it in a a low cup, and she has to drink a bitter drink. The Aimida Kohen Now the Kohen uh, brings the lady in front of uh, in front of Hashem. Now, what does it mean? Uh, he brings her in front of Hashem. So the Hakamim come along and say that they walk her around the Beit Hamikdash 
in order to tire her out. Because maybe she'll confess. You know, just like they do when they take a captive. They deprive them from sleep and they do all sorts of things to get to get them to confess. They walk the lady around the bed to Mikdash until she finally says, okay, I'll admit it, I did it. And then once she admits it, she doesn't have to drink anymore. She has to get, you know, she has to get divorced from her husband, but at least she don't she won't drink the waters. Uh, and now the Torah comes along and says that if she doesn't get worn out, and she's still she's still insisting, I didn't do it. And it's okay, but if you drink, you're gonna blow up. So I don't care, I'll drink. So first, before they give her to drink, it says, Ufara et rosha isha, that they uncover her head. Now, what does that mean? They uncover her head. What could that mean? So that she says, well, who said her head was covered? That you're uncovering her head. So that she says, it's from here we learn that the Jewish ladies would cover their head. Uh, so therefore, uh, in order to shame her, they pull off her, her head covering. Now, she doesn't tell us if it's a hat or a uh, kerchief or a wig. That we leave to the, uh, to the later to the later rabbis, but you do learn, this is one of the very important things we learn from the uh, Torah that a lady should have her head uh, covered. Uh, therefore, because again, the Torah assumes that her head is covered. And you will uncover her head. Who said her head is covered in the first place? Now, a strange type of lady. There's a lady that's covering her head but has no problem to be secluded with uh, with another man. All right, so it just goes to show you that everybody has uh, Yitzhara. One thing's got to not do with the other. Therefore, uh, one, always, one, has to be, one has to be careful. Okay, and now what happens? So the uh, Torah says, V'natan al-kapeha et minhat ha-zikaron. And then the Kohen takes the meal offering that's in a vessel, and gives it and puts it in her hand. Again, now it's heavy. They're trying to wear her out. So she'll become all, uh, you know, tired, and she'll just say, you know, I did it. Now, why are you doing that? Just just let her drink. You know, because we're going to learn in a minute that one of the secret ingredients in this sota waters was the name of Hashem. They actually erased the name of Hashem in the waters. And we don't want to have to erase Hashem's name. So therefore, we're going to try every measure possible to try to get her to admit that she did it before we have to go to the extreme, uh, you know, uh, 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 extreme scenario to have a drink from the waters that have the name of Hashem erased in it. That's why we're doing it, you know, in, in such a way. And then it says... Now, before she drinks, the Kohen has to make her uh, a curse to her. And he says to her the following, uh, If you didn't lie with another man, and you didn't sway and become contaminated under your husband, no problem. You will be clean. The waters will not do anything, which means you will be clean. Now, the word hinaki is written with a he. Hinaki means you shall be exonerated. You shall be uh, innocent. But if you read the word not with a he, but with a het, that would spell hinki. Hinki means that you should be choked that uh, if you did go with that man, then not going to be hinnaki, but hinnaki. Hinnaki means you shall choke. So therefore they're giving her uh, the, uh, the, two, the two options. That's the... Um... Now, the adki satit, but uh, if indeed you are a sota, tahati sheikh under your husband, uh, somebody besides your husband, and you uh, defiled yourself, 
וייתן איש בך את שכבתו אני לא למען פי ותיו, מבלעדי אישך, somebody beside your husband, והשפיע הכהן את האישה בשבוע העלה, ואמר הכהן לאישה, ייתן השם אותך לעלה, the curse will be on you, בתוך עמך, amongst the nation, ותת השם את ידיכך נופלת. So her uh, thigh will fall, it shall collapse, and it bitna tzaba, and her stomach will be uh, bloated, and actually uh, extend. So that's, um, that's what's happening now. Now, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the punishment. And again, because those are the parts of her uh, body that she benefited from when she had the Averah, and therefore those are the parts that uh, go down. Okay, so that's uh, some serious stuff over here. Now, the lady has to accept the curse. Amen, amen. The lady says, amen, twice. Now, why does she say amen twice? That she says, amen on the curse and amen on the, on the, on the swear, that she accepts, you know, the, uh, the oath that the, the Kohen uh, put on her. And she accepts the punishment. Because she's swearing that she didn't do it. So she accepts upon herself that if indeed she's swearing falsely, she accepts upon herself the, uh, the curse. So that's, that's the way it does. Otherwise, if she doesn't swear, then they won't give her to drink. She's swearing, I swear I didn't do it. So they make her say amen twice that she accepts the punishment if the oath that she took was actually false. And now the Torah says... Uh, she has to say amen, amen. Also, that she's saying, not only didn't I go with this guy, but I didn't go with another guy also. Uh, because all we know is that she was secluded with the Uven. But for all we know, maybe she was secluded with uh, Shimon and Levi and Yehuda and all the other tribes as well. But once we see this lady is uh, promiscuous and she doesn't have uh, the rules of modesty, so, so at this point, they say, well, not only are we going to hold you liable against this man that we came to discuss today, the Uved, and your seclusion with him, but now you got to promise to us that you didn't go with anybody else. So she has to say, Amen, 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 I didn't go with the Uved, I didn't go with somebody else. Now, she has to say, Amen, Amen, also to say that not only was I faithful after I got married, but I was faithful also when I was engaged. So therefore, She's answering amen, amen, to cover all the situations and to basically say that she is innocent. And now the Torah says, the Ken writes this whole parasha on a parchment, and then he erases the ink, which includes Hashem's name, into the... Um, into the into the waters, and then and then the kohen gives her uh, to drink. Now the pasuk comes along and says, and the waters will come into her as bitter, which means if she's guilty, it will actually go into her as bitter. Now, no, if she was innocent with this guy and did it with somebody else, she's also going to blow up. So now we're really giving her a full, uh, you know, full check over here. There's a full full checkup over here now. We're checking up her, uh, you know, her social life to see if it was uh, cashier or not. So she thinks she's just going to get, you know, she might have escaped uh, the event. But she's going to have to answer now for everybody else. So she's, uh, yeah. I mean, if she's if she's innocent, she's innocent. But if she's you know if she's guilty, she's going to going to catch up. Anyway, the Torah comes along and says, the takes from the minha, you know, a comets a handful, uh, and he puts it on the mizbeah, and after he does that, 
And then he gives the lady uh, to drink. Um, now, <coughs> now let's say, let's say a lady during the process says, you know what, I don't want to drink. So you can't force her to drink. But if she doesn't want to drink, then she must divorce her husband because we don't know what she did. If she actually was with this man, then she's forbidden to her husband. But she's said, I don't want to drink. Okay, I don't want to drink. No problem. Now you have to divorce your husband. But once we erase Hashem's name in the, in the water, we don't let her say, I don't want to drink anymore. Because now that we erased Hashem's name, that's the point of no return. Now she has to drink. Because uh, uh, you, had, you, you had a chance to, 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 to say you don't want to drink before that point. So if after we erase Hashem, then she doesn't want to drink, we forcibly, force, forcibly put the um, uh, forcibly put the water down her throat. That's uh, against her will. Again, unless she said, I did it. If she just says, I don't want to drink, by that time already, they're going to forcibly put it down her throat. But if she says, I did it, I'm to me, I went with him, that's it. That's always, then, then, then our punishment is, that she's forbidden, uh, she's forbidden to be with her uh, with her husband. That's it. She gotta, and she cannot be with this guy either. She's forbidden to her husband. She's forbidden, forbidden to with the Uban. And uh, you know they're probably not going to make her one of the uh, you know the main rebbitsons of the uh, of the community. Rabbi, was it a common occurrence? That's a great question. Was it a common occurrence? I hope not. I hope, mm. I hope it wasn't. Did it, it happen? Sure, that did happen. Yes. It definitely did happen. Uh, and I'm sure there was a lot of innocent ladies also, meaning that drank the waters and survived it. There's a lot of rules over there. The Gemara says, for example, if the husband was unfaithful, the waters will not work on the wife. So therefore, it's quite possible that she actually did something with it, Uven, but she didn't blow up. Now, she'll know at that point that her husband wasn't faithful because she's saying, wait, I know what I did. How come I didn't blow up? Uh, must be that my husband's doing the same thing. So that's that's what the Gemara said. But there were a lot of cases where the lady was actually innocent, and then the waters actually uh, became a blessing. There's a famous there's a famous Gemara that I'll uh, leave you with. It's an amazing, amazing Gemara, actually. You remember the story of Hannah? So Hannah was married to Elkanah, and she didn't have children. And she was praying to God for many years that she should have children. We just came back from Israel. Supposedly, they took us to uh, the place where uh, Hannah prayed for children in the Mishkan in Shiloh. All right? I don't know how they know exactly that's the spot, but uh, they took us there. Makes for, good, uh, makes for a good story, at least. Uh, anyway... Uh, Hannah, one of the things she said to God is that if you don't give me a child in the normal way, I will seclude myself with a man, and then my husband will be forced to take me to the Beit HaMikdash to drink the waters. And since I will be innocent, the waters will be a blessing, and you'll have to keep your Torah honest, which you promised that if a girl is innocent and drinks the waters... So then already she has a baby. So she was going to leverage the, the law of Sotah to her advantage by saying that she'll drink and then God has to keep his word that if the girl is actually innocent that uh, the waters become a, a medicine, a fertility uh, serum. But of course it didn't, have, didn't come to that, but that's what she was, uh, she was using. She was using that. Um, uh, the Torah comes along and says that uh, if the last Rashi right uh, now the husband the pasuk just ends up and says the husband doesn't have to feel guilty if after she drank the water she blew up now, he might feel guilty and say well I caused my my wife to die no it's not he's not he's not held responsible for killing anybody. He uh, he followed the law, and therefore he is 
uh, undeserving of any punishment. Because again, he's just following the Torah law. He shouldn't feel that, um, you know, that he caused this uh, to happen over here. Now, if um, indeed that she drank and she was found innocent, then she can go back home to her husband. And then everybody lives happily ever after. Again, you have to always remember, but, but this Sota lady is not, uh, you know, she's not 100% righteous because she did, again, go against her husband by not listening, and she did go and at least seclude herself. Uh, that already is, you know, a problem. Question of the waters over here is that we need to know, did she go all the way, you know, to commit the sin or, you know, not? That, that is really something that only the Kohen is able to uh, solve. That's, a, again, a fascinating story of the Sota. Uh, today we don't have this sota. I mean, we have promiscuity, but we don't have the waters uh, in order to to, to, to test uh, to test these people out. All right. Nonetheless, there is actually a whole gemara called gemara sota. It's this thick, and the whole topic is just discussing the details of what happens uh, with this lady. So it's something something that's definitely the Torah pays a lot of attention to. Anyway, we're learning this for Hayasara Batsimha that you should have before Ashrema and making your don't wish our members a Shabbat Shalom.